0: People came from miles around to see and hear this man, this young preacher. The important people were invited to meet him in a large home. The homeowner very much wanted to hear this man speak and was proud to host the meeting. The speaker was a man who spoke with authority about the word of God. The learned scholars from all around were prepared to listen and critique this newcomer. They were standing room only. No one else could get in the door. As Jesus spoke to the assembly, he noticed that some small pieces of the ceiling were falling into the crowd in front of him. The people in the crowd also noticed and began to comment. The comments turned into a clamor. Jesus stopped speaking and watched as pieces of the ceiling fell down to the floor at the place where the people had stepped back to avoid being hit by debris. There was confusion in the crowd, but Jesus knew what was happening. Someone on the roof was trying to get closer to this man who could heal people with a touch or a word. In his previous career, he was a carpenter. He looked at the hole in the roof as it got larger. He thought about the tools and materials needed to fix that damage, not to mention the man hours. Yes, they were guilty of breaking and entering, but he was impressed with the faith of the men who were working to reach him so their friend could get close and be healed of his affliction. Noticing that Jesus was just silently watching, the crowd stopped clamoring and waited for him to speak his indignation. Surely he would condemn those interlopers for their interruption of his lecture and for their crime their sin of breaking an entry but jesus just stood there watching when the hole was big enough four men lowered their friend on a stretcher to the floor below he was laid on the floor to rest and he looked up at jesus then he looked the other direction of the crowd, staring at him with angry faces. The man was not able to physically respond. His friends had brought him because he was paralyzed. He looked back at Jesus. Instead of anger, he saw compassion. And was that a smile showing at the corner of Jesus' mouth? Was Jesus amused at his grand entry? Jesus looked at the four men on the floor, looking down at him through the hole in the roof. Looked at the four men on the roof, looking down at him through the hole in the roof. Then he looked at the crowd, waiting for him to pronounce judgment on the man at his feet. Then he looked back at the man who was looking up to him. Friend. Your sins are forgiven, said Jesus. The important men in the crowd, the lawyers and Pharisees, were ready to pounce on that statement. What did he say? Who does he think he is forgiving, this criminal, this sinner? Only God can forgive this man. This is blasphemy. Jesus glared at them. He could fix this hole in the roof in an instant just by saying the word. Before he was a carpenter, He is the Son of God, but the roof wasn't the issue here. Which is easier, said Jesus, to say your sins are forgiven, to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that I have the authority on this earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the man lying in front of him and said, I tell you, friend, get up and take your bed and go home. The man was no longer paralyzed. Immediately, the man stood up right there in front of everybody. He picked up what he was lying on and walked home, praising God as he went. Everyone was astonished. They talked with each other about the amazing thing they had just seen. They walked out and forgot about the hole in the roof. In Luke 19, Jesus was becoming famous. He was passing through Jericho, surrounded by a large crowd of people. Verse 2 tells us Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector for Jericho. He was a rich man. Jesus was about to pass him by. He wasn't in town to look for rich people or important people. He was seeking out the common people. <clears throat> I suspect that the crowd gathering around jesus was talking about jesus they were telling each other hey jesus is in town they had heard about him that was why they were crowding to see him zacchaeus was out and about in the city every day collecting money he probably had already heard people talking about jesus before jesus came through town verse 3 tells us zacchaeus was trying to see who jesus was I think he already knew who Jesus was, as much as anybody in the crowd knew. He just wanted to see the famous man. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd around Jesus. Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus over the heads of those in the crowd. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. He was a little guy, but he really wanted to see Jesus. His rich and dignified status wasn't going to get him a meeting with Jesus. The crowd wasn't going to make a path for Zacchaeus to go up and see Jesus. They didn't like Zacchaeus. He had made his wealth at their expense. He was a despised tax collector. Zacchaeus forgot about his dignified status as a rich man. No one else was impressed with him anyway. Zacchaeus did what a little boy might do to catch a glimpse of the famous Jesus. He climbed up a tree so he could look over the crowd and see Jesus. He became like a child. In Mark ten fifteen. 15, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Jesus saw Zacchaeus in that tree. That's the thing about getting up above the crowd to look down into it. People in the crowd can see you too. Jesus knew the man's name. Maybe he heard the crowd people saying, hey, what's that dummy Zacchaeus doing up in a tree? Maybe they were laughing at him. I think Jesus took note that Zacchaeus became like a child to see Jesus. He said, hey, Zac, come on down. We're going to go to your house for dinner zacchaeus was greatly honored that jesus had invited himself to zacchaeus's house for dinner jesus knew this man was a deplorable a deplorable tax collector jesus was in town to save sinners all those other sinners, the ones in the crowd who thought they were good guys compared to zacchaeus They were grumbling about the way, the very idea that Jesus had purposely invited himself to hang out with that sorry tax collector. Tax collectors weren't just sinners. They were sinning against all their fellow Jews. They were collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. We don't like paying taxes and we don't like some of the things the government spends our tax money on. But we pay what the law requires It is said that tax evasion is a crime, but tax avoidance is a duty. Evasion is illegal. Avoidance, as the law allows wherever it can be done, frees up a citizen's money to be spent in ways the person chooses, instead of in ways chosen by the bureaucracies. I won't argue against that philosophy. In Jesus' day, even the church levied a tax, not leaving it to the conscience of the believer to give from the heart. It was an annual temple tax for temple expenses, in addition to the tithe and offerings expected from the Jews. In Matthew 17, 24 through 27, Jesus and Peter, while in Capernaum, were approached by the temple tax collectors. Jesus asked Peter, Who do kings collect taxes from, their sons or from strangers? Peter replied, it was from the strangers. And Jesus said, the sons are exempt. His point was that as the son of God, he didn't have to pay a tax for the upkeep of the house of God, but to avoid offending the tax collectors, he paid it anyway. He told Peter to go fishing with a hook. He said, when Peter caught the first fish, he was to open its mouth and he would find the coin needed to pay their temple tax. And so it was. Jesus set the example, pay your taxes. Peter's catch had just enough money in his mouth to pay the temple tax for Jesus and Peter. It was not enough to pay taxes for the other 11 disciples who followed Jesus. I heard a preacher say this is evidence that 11 of the disciples of Jesus were young men maybe even teenagers. Men 20 years of age and younger were exempt from the temple tax. We don't know how old Peter was, but we know he had his own fishing boat and he was married. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. Peter might have been in his mid-20s. In Luke 20, 25, The scribes and the chief Pharisees asked Jesus whether or not it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. If he said yes, they would condemn him for supporting the enemy, the occupying empire. If he said no, they would have him condemned by the Roman Empire for refusing to pay taxes. Jesus took a coin and said, whose likeness and inscription are on the coin? They said, it was Caesar's. Then Jesus said, given to Caesar what belongs to him, and given to God what belongs to him. It still holds true today. These days, a sales tax is included in the price of what you buy, and you pay it up front. An income tax is deducted up front from the workers' wages. In those days, it was not quite so neatly organized. The tax collector hung... Collectors hung out at the places money changed hands, in the marketplace, on the street. People weren't given a bill to take home and pay later. Money was demanded on the spot. The system was corrupt. The tax collector collected more than he needed to and kept more than he was supposed to for himself. He kept the books in a way to present to Rome what the... What Rome wanted... What... What he, to present to Rome <clears throat> what he wanted Rome to see. So Rome didn't think the government was getting cheated. Tax collectors were probably allowed some kind of commission as payment for their work, but it was easy for the tax collector to cheat. Zacchaeus told Jesus up front he would give half his possessions to the poor. This is pretty straightforward. But then he said he would pay back four times as much as what he got by cheating anyone. I sometimes wondered if he was promising more than he could deliver. If he cheated a lot of people, he would run out of money before he paid them back. But maybe he had already thought about it. Maybe he had a guilty conscience before he met Jesus. He knew how to handle money, and maybe he had already thought about paying back to the people he cheated. Maybe he didn't cheat everybody, just the rich folks. But Zacchaeus made a promise. The Bible doesn't say that Zacchaeus quit his job. One might argue it would be better for Zacchaeus to keep on being the chief tax collector rather than giving up the job allowing some crook to be the next chief tax collector. Zacchaeus was in a position to make sure the job was done right so that nobody got cheated. In Luke 3, 12 and 13, the advice of John the Baptist tax collectors was to collect no more than what they had been ordered to. John didn't tell them to quit their jobs. We know that Matthew the tax collector quit his job to follow Jesus to be one of his disciples because... Jesus told him to, but we don't see in Luke that Jesus said that to Zacchaeus. Maybe Jesus wanted him to continue being a tax collector, but an honest one. The important thing is that Jesus said in verse 19, 9, that salvation had come to Zacchaeus's house. In chapter 12 of Matthew Jesus and his disciples were walking through a grain field on a Sabbath picking the heads of grain as they went and eating them they were hungry this was fast food The Jewish law permitted picking grain from someone else's field to eat as long as you weren't carrying a basket for take home food the Pharisees were watching always looking for ways to find fault with Jesus And his disciples they saw them walking through the field eating grain as they picked it off the stalks aha they said your disciples are working on the sabbath they are harvesting grain jesus responded by reminding them of what is written in first samuel 21 6 when the priest let david have bread for his men from the ceremonial bread of the temple which is only supposed to be eaten by the priest according to moses law He went on to say the law permits the priests of the temple to break the Sabbath rule against working because they are carrying out their duties on the Sabbath. Jesus then proclaimed to them he was the Lord of the Sabbath. After that, Jesus healed a man's crippled hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus pointed out to the Pharisees and scribes that any one of them would rescue his own sheep which had fallen into a pit on the Sabbath, even though that would take a lot of work, hauling that sheep out of that pit. The Pharisees and scribes didn't have an answer for that. They knew he was right, but this person broke the Sabbath, and he was rocking their establishment boat. He was exposing their oppressive system of lording it over the people. After that, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him jesus knew about their conspiracy and left the synagogue many people followed him and he healed those who needed to be healed one of those he healed was a demon possessed man who was blind and mute and jesus healed the man so he could see and talk the pharisees said the reason jesus could cast out demons was because his healing power came from the ruler of the demons Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Therefore, Satan will not be giving power to cast out demons. Matthew twelve twenty-eight. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This was a warning to the Pharisees. They were up against God himself. In verse 30, he went on to say, he who is not with me, is against me jesus power was the power of the spirit of god in verse 31 he said that blasphemy against the spirit of god would not be forgiven other sins would be forgiven but not blasphemy against the spirit of god this is the unforgivable sin the commentary my bible says because of the special circumstances of the event this sin could not be committed today I don't know about that. It seems too easily dismissed and is not explained by that commentary. Anyone who would look at the obvious work of God clearly seen, undeniable in its power, and then purposely attribute it to the devil is already too far gone to save. He would be blind to the goodness and power of God. If a person is worried he might not have he might have committed the unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit of God, it is evidence that he hasn't committed that blasphemy. That seems to be a summation of the meaning of Matthew twelve thirty-one. I do not claim to have the last word. Jesus goes on to say at verse 36. <clears throat> that people will be accountable on judgment day for every careless word they have spoken. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus has been working real miracles in the power of God and the Pharisees have seen those miracles and they have heard the teaching of, of Jesus and they have heard their own shallow questions of Jesus and accusations of Jesus and the response of the son of god to what they have said and now they say they want to see a sign from him to prove he is from god there is a saying that there are none so blind as those who will not see in other words they choose to not see it doesn't matter what jesus did they didn't see it as a sign from god jesus said the only sign they would be giving was would be the sign of jonah jonah was the, in the belly of the fish for three days and the son of man would be in the heart of the earth for three days we've all read about jonah jonah in four chapters he is one of the shortest books of the old testament some people have a problem with the book of jonah not believing a man could live for three days in the belly of a fish or a whale jesus here referred to jonah as a valid story in the old testament jesus knew the story of jonah was a true story i read a commentary on jonah written by j Vernon mcgee you might have heard some of his sermons on the radio he is still on the radio even though he died years ago mcgee didn't believe jonah lived three days in the belly of a fish he points out the bible doesn't say jonah was alive for three days in the fish he believes jonah died and was resurrected three days later when he was spit out on the shore by that fish in john 117 it says jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights then in verse one of chapter two it says "Then jonah prayed to the lord his god from the stomach of the fish mcgee says this verse is out of sequence (coughs) mcgee believes Jonah prayed in the first few minutes after being swallowed by the fish, the last few minutes before he died. Then he spent three days in the fish. His point to, He points to other places in the Bible where verses are out of sequence. For example, Genesis 1, we see the story of creation, the big picture. Then in chapter 2, we go back and see some of the details of that creation. Another example in Genesis is the first part of the story of Abraham. In verses 11-25, we see that Terah, the father of Abraham, died at the age of 205. Then in the next chapter, we read about God calling Abraham to leave his country and his father's house to go to a new land. In twelve four, it says that Abraham was 75 years old when he did what God told him to do. Some people think this was after Terah died because Terah's death was mentioned in the previous chapter. But we see in 1126 that Terah was 70 years old when he began, became the father of Abram. <clears> Terah <throat> died at 205. Abram was 75 when he left. That means that Terah was only 145 years old when Abram left. So this is out of sequence. The overview was given in chapter 11. Chapter 12 goes back and gives us the details. J. Vernon McGee knew that it was a greater miracle for Jonah to die and then be brought back to life three days later than for a man to live for three days inside a fish. In his commentary, he gives a historic account where a person was in fact swallowed by a whale. The whale was caught two days later, and the man was found inside the well, unconscious but alive. But Jonah wrote the book of Jonah after it happened. And the language used by Jonah is consistent with Jonah having died and being brought back to life. McGee said the story of a better, is a better picture of prophecy of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus if Jonah did in fact die and was brought back to life, it is the best picture in the Old Testament of that death, burial, and resurrection. The story of Jonah is a picture prophecy of the death, burial for three days, and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus tells us it is a sign of what is going to happen. When Jonah was... Spit up by that large fish, he walked through the large city of Nineveh for several days, preaching as he went. He wasn't preaching about the saving grace of God. He was preaching fire and brimstone, doom and gloom. After having spent three days (coughs) in the belly of a fish, he probably looked like hell. Maybe he still had some hair. His skin and his clothes might have been bleached by the digestive juices of that fish he probably drew a crowd of onlookers wherever he went he preached his way through nineveh from street corner to marketplace to courthouse steps the ninevites believed him they repented from the king to the slaves everyone repented it was the biggest revival ever they repented even though jonah didn't preach about salvation They repented, thinking maybe God would show mercy. God did show mercy. Jonah didn't like it because he hated those wicked Ninevites, but God showed mercy. Jesus told the Pharisees the Ninevites would stand at judgment against them because the Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah and Jesus was greater than Jonah and was being rejected. Jesus told them that on judgment day the queen of the south from Solomon's time would stand in judgment against them because she had come from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and Jesus was greater than Solomon. In Matthew 12 46 through 50 Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people inside a house and someone told him his mother and his brothers were outside wanting to talk to him. This part of the story is also told in Mark three, thirty-one through thirty-five and Luke eight, nineteen through twenty-one. I looked at the account in Mark and Luke to see if either one tells what house Jesus was in. In Mark 3, backing up to verse 20 it says, and he came home. And the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. So apparently Jesus was at home or a place he was calling home, even though we don't know it was a house he, he owned. So his mother and brothers were outside wanting to talk to him, and they couldn't get in because of the crowd of people. I think probably this wasn't their home. Or someone would surely have let them in. But Jesus was teaching the crowd of people, and so he let this be a teaching opportunity for the crowd of people. Jesus said, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? He stretched out his hand to his disciples, standing around, and said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, He is my brother and sister and mother. Here, Jesus is talking not just about the twelve we we refer to as disciples, but all of his followers. This passage tells me that Jesus wants people to know that his spiritual brothers and sisters were more important than earthly family. He didn't call for any special reverence to his mother Mary, and he didn't deny that he had earthly brothers. In John nineteen, twenty six through twenty seven, it tells us that when Jesus was on the cross he gave John the responsibility of taking care of Mary. It says John took Mary into his own household. Chapter thirteen we see that Jesus left the house and went out to sit by the sea. He was probably tired of this crowded house, and maybe he wanted to tell his mother and brothers hello. Anyway, the crowd of people was still there, and he went over, got into a boat, so he could sit down and teach the crowd, which was on the shore. He spoke to them in parables. In Matthew 13, Jesus told the pe- people about a, fam- a farmer sowing seeds. He wasn't carefully planting seeds; he was scattering seeds. He was more of a if he was more of a micromanager, he would have been very careful about where the seeds landed and would have planted the seeds in the ground instead of just throwing them out there. But seeds don't have to be planted in order to grow. A seed on the ground will sprout when it gets wet and put down roots and grow toward the sun. Some of the seeds landed on the road and got eaten by the birds. Other seeds fell on rocky ground and did sprout, but couldn't put down roots in the rocks and withered away Other seeds got choked up by the thorns, and other seeds fell on good soil and grew and yielded a good crop. After telling the story, Jesus said, He who has ears, let him hear. Of course, they all had ears. Jesus was telling them to pay attention. Jesus' disciples went up to him and asked him why he was speaking to the people in parables. Jesus told them, They were granted the privilege of knowing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But that gift had not been given to the others. Those who had that gift would be given an abundance of knowledge. The others would hear, but not understand. Those who believed would understand, and those who didn't believe would not understand. Jesus said this was a new revelation. In verse 17, he says... Many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you now see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The salvation given by the Son of God has been revealed to us, but it was a mystery before Jesus told us. In Hebrews 11, when Jesus... Okay. In Hebrews 11 which talks about the heroes of the faith throughout Bible history. It tells of their longing for the revelation we have been given. In Hebrews 11:39-40, through 40, it is written, and all these having gained approval through their faith did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Their reward, their salvation, did not come until it also came for us in Christ Jesus. In Matthew 13, 18, Jesus continues to explain the parable for those who asked him because they had faith in him. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. This was the seed that was scattered on the road. The one on whom seed has, was sown in rocky places hears the word and receives it with joy. But when an affliction or persecution arises because of the word, he falls away. The one who hears the word like the seed sown among thorns is the one who hears the word. But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out what he has received and he becomes unfruitful. The one on whom seed was received in good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it and bears fruit some a hundredfold and some 60 and some 30. Jesus told several other parables in the same chapter. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed wheat in his field at night. An enemy came and sowed tares, which is some kind of weeds in the same field. When all the plants started growing, the problem became apparent. The servants asked if they should go through and gather up the tares. The master said no, because at this point of growth, the servants might trample the wheat while collecting the tares. It might also pull up some wheat. He said, go ahead and let everything grow. At the time of harvest, they were to gather the tares and bundle them up in preparation for burning. Then they would harvest the wheat and gather it into the barn and go back and burn the tares. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It is the smallest of all seeds. When it grows, it becomes larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree that birds can build their nests in. He said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman works into the flower so that all the is leavened jesus told these parables to the crowd and when his disciples later asked the meaning of the parables he explained to them he told them he was the one who sowed the good seed the field is the world and the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom and the enemy is the devil and his tares are the sons of the evil one the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels The tares will be burned with fire and the righteous will shine forth in the kingdom of their father. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. A man finds it in a field. He covers it up. He gathers all his wealth and uses it to buy the field so he can have the treasure. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who finds a pearl of great value, and he sells all he has in order to buy that pearl. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a net cast into the sea that brings forth fish of every kind. It is pulled up on the beach, and the good fish are gathered and put into containers, and the bad fish are thrown away. And so it will be at the end of the ages, when the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. The wicked would be thrown into the fire. Jesus went to his hometown and taught in the synagogue. The people were amazed. They said, where did he get all this stuff? <clears throat> Wasn't his daddy a carpenter and his mother is married? We know her. We know his brothers and his sisters live here. Who does he think he is? Where does he get all this stuff? They took a fence at him. Jesus said, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief.